Hello and welcome to the Hub Systems Podcast, the voice of man's model moments, the blog of the various ramblings on the modelling and gaming antics of my son and I. My name is Alex Mann, and as we've just returned from our holiday and we're recording this quite late at night, Oscar's already asleep. Fear not, however, as joining us as guest for the week is occasional guest host Josh of the Waygate and Firestorm Focus Group. Hello. Also, we welcome new guest Craig, another member of the Firestorm Focus Group, and a seasoned tournament and Rob Thoser player. Hello. So as I mentioned, we've been on holiday in the Basque region of France for the past couple of weeks. Sorska and I have done almost no modelling or gaming related stuff at all. I've painted up a few flying polyps. Actually, that's that's really pushing it a little bit. I base-coated a couple of flying polyps <laughs> for Cthulhu Wars, and that's about it over two weeks, uh, which makes our contributions to this very simple, because there really isn't much. So what about you, Josh? What have you been up to in the past couple of weeks? Well, mostly like convention recovery. Uh, I have been actually painting a bunch of Infinity stuff, though. Um, getting my uh, my Pan-Oceana Neo-Terrans a coat of paint. Nice. Um, How many models is that? I want to say about ten I've done in the past like two, three weeks. Okay. Something like that. But not a whole lot. Mostly Gen Con took up a big chunk, and then post-Gen Con recovery took up a decent chunk. <laughs> yeah, because I think uh, last time I messaged you, you were not feeling 100%. Yeah, it's I actually did not uh, avoid the con crud, as it's known, this time. <laughs> Had seven consecutive conventions and no illness, and I guess I shook one too many hands this time. <laughs> <laughs> As that popular popularity increases, the risk also increases. <laughs> okay, well, we'll come back to, to Gen Con a little while, but as a new guest, Craig, uh, give us your short gamer bio and some of your recent gaming activities as well. So, yeah, I've been gaming on and off in various systems for what is coming pretty close to 20 years at this point. Been playing 40k on and off since third edition. Fantasy, I played a fair bit during eighth. Uh, before that, all got end times the way. Uh, been playing Firestorm since version one. I've dabbled with Planetfall a bit, and I've been very, very into X-Wing over the past couple of years. Most recent gaming stuff I've done is played the UK X-Wing Nationals a couple of weeks ago, and I've been uh, brought back into 40k a bit with the Death Watch release. Okay, so that was going to be one of my questions, was are you still a 40k player? It's it's an on and off thing. (laughs) It's like a habit you can't break, is that what you're saying? Yeah, basically. (laughs) So every now and again, it's like I really want to buy that and paint it, and then 300 quid later I have an army. (laughs) Only 300? You're doing well. (laughs) Well, my current plan for a Death Watch list has 32 models. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> In an 1850 list, so... Does it involve lots of frag cannons? Because I've heard that the... It involves exactly four frag cannons. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard... All of them are uh, in the same unit. Yeah, I've heard about <laughs> the ridiculous things you can do with these things. Yeah, uh, drop them next to something and watch it try and soak eight LAS cannon shots to the face. Or the template. Is that that thing that looks like a grenade launcher kind of heavy bolter combo? Yeah. Yes, it is. Okay. It, it's as brilliant as it is disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds pretty games workshop to me. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> what, what about the fantasy? Do you still deal with fantasy? Have you ventured to the age of signal? No, no, I, I, I dropped that like a stone okay. that was on fire. <laughs> 
<laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Okay, well, we will obviously come back to Firestorm when we talk about the Royal Thoser a little later on. But first of all, and thank you for that, Craig, uh, let's get into Hit or Miss. Now, we have uh, only a few things to deal with in Hit or Miss this week because, it, or this episode, it has been pretty slow. So our releases are from Forge World and Games Workshop. Um, nothing really too much on the horizon, I guess. Gen Con has taken a lot of companies' focus uh, for the past couple of weeks. So let's start off with Forge World. And on my little email newsletter I get from Forge World, they announced the Mastodon. Mm. The Mastodon Heavy Assault Transport is quite a Titanic model released from Forge World. It looks pretty much like it's an all-resin kit. And the price tag of £300 would certainly suggest that. Mm. So, guys, well, Craig, I guess I should ask you first as a still dabbling 40k <laughs> player. What are your first impressions of the, the Mastodon? Yeah, there's been pictures surfacing of the Mastodon uh, from various people going to Forge World events over most of the past year. And what I've seen, like, it's absolutely massive. Like each one of the tracks you're talking is like a land raid along. It's oh, geez, it's an no. absolutely vast kit. I've not seen the rules recently enough to call them reliable, but it's and also I'm fairly sure if you look at the front doors that it seems to have six melter guns mounted into the doors. Yeah, I mean I'm just looking at the 360 on yeah. the Forge World page and. It does have a couple of Space Marines looking out of hatches, yeah. and they do look tiny compared to the model. <laughs> I know. And I do believe the um, the little accompanying fluff does mention that it has, uh, what does it call it? It calls it a Siege Melter Array. I think that's that big thing on the top of it. Uh, it talks about it destroying fortifications. Although maybe it's everything. <laughs> Mm. It looks pretty formidable. I mean, it looks like a mobile house. Fortress, really, yeah. <laughs> Just guns everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And it'll it's... spew half a company into your face when the doors open. I think World Eaters players in particular are going to love that thing. Yeah. I mean, to me, it looks typically Space Marine-ish. Mm. You know, it's yeah. obviously identifiable as an Imperial vehicle. Yeah. Um, it's got that chunky, you know, solid look. It's a Forge World model. It looks yeah, it looks pretty cool. It's got some internal workings showing you the, the siege doors, yeah. how they work and stuff. How much of that you'll see, I don't know, depending on how you make it, I guess. But at £300, I'm guessing you're going to take a little bit of time and care over this, right? Yeah, I don't think anybody's going to be rushing that. No, no, I, I wouldn't have thought so. What are your thoughts, Josh? When was your last foray into 40k? Uh, I think I stopped playing right at the beginning of 6th edition, so what was that, like three or four years now? Yeah. Something, Something like that. that. Yeah, that's that was the last foray I did. I it's it's big. <laughs> they seem to be on a GW's been on a been on, seems to be on a kick of just producing massive freaking vehicles for the for the game. So it's cool looking. And I'm if I played thirty K or anything like that, I'd probably, you know, pick one up if uh you know, if I didn't get looked at like a crazy person for spending <laughs> 300 pounds on one model <laughs> yeah i mean i guess this comes to i mean for me yeah it's it's a coolish looking model it's not personally something i kind of look at and think i must have it i guess my aesthetic is a bit more towards the the kind of tower aesthetic you know the eldar 
a bit sleeker, a bit more high tech looking. This is, as I say, it's very easily identifiable as an Imperial, you know, Space Marine type vehicle. Has that kind of Gothic architecture, yeah. heavy slab ceramite armor look. But uh, it's as you mentioned, Josh. It's that the three hundred pound price tag and why I would buy this is the stumbling block for me <laughs> because I don't know of anybody that plays forty k really anymore <laughs> but of those that do i don't think i mean i haven't heard anybody play armageddon you know or like get all of their models you know and play for like a weekend or something with you know like back in 2010 yeah. or something whatever it was when all of those things planet strike and yeah. all that came out apocalypse. yeah apocalypse yeah. and getting all of those you know everything you you own your whole collection get it on the table don't hear about that so much which is kind of where i see this kind of model fitting in so it's it's like they've made a model to fit a market that disappeared five or six years ago it is my initial impression mm. <laughs> well with the yeah the 30k as a system has kind of brought back the bigger games because i mean a lot of 30k games tend to be around the sort of three thousand point mark which that would probably fit in quite well again i can't remember the rules off the top of my head so i can't, couldn't judge that on a points cost thing but yeah i'd say my understanding the way they play with the, the way the rules are open now like when i see the guys playing at the shop you know they're all wielding freaking like titans and all this other stuff and it's just a normal yeah. game so that's why i say they're producing lots of big models and big kits because apparently the yeah. meta in tournaments is you know you have to have a knight titan and and all this other stuff and these crazy formations and yeah <laughs> yeah it has developed into kind of a one-upmanship sort of thing yeah uh, you just reminded why i got out of 40k um <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah yep. and then it's you know do i so i spend 300 pounds to give myself it's like a pay to win you know it's like a freemium kind of model almost yep yep which again is kind of an anathema to me so uh, in terms of the design of this model I, you know, as I say, it's not my personal aesthetic, but you can, you know, it's been well designed. You can tell from the look of it. Yeah. Any warpage issues or anything that Forge World may have aside, um, I think they've got better in recent years. But, you know, it's probably likely to be a good kit and go together reasonably well. Could I see myself spending £300 on this? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> on, on a single model like this? No. Uh, not not without a drastic change in finances. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, even if somebody gave me a lot of money, would I spend £300 on this? Again. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if either of you have any other thoughts on it, but I'm kind of, that's where I am with yeah. this, the Mastodon. I mean, after a certain point when you've invested in a Forge World army, it's kind of a, uh, what's, you know, that much more. But yeah, going in, it's just like, ooh, that's a bit steep. Which is a shame, because the last time we looked at uh, Forge World with Shartor, the unfortunately named bull guy, uh, it was quite positive. I have kind of a soft spot towards Forge World. I don't know why it's kind of, <laughs> but uh, I'm not yeah. feeling it with this one. So for me, this this particular model is a, is a miss. How about how about you, Greg? I can understand people's reactions either way. It's not something I'd buy, but I can see why people would near miss maybe. <laughs> and Josh, how about you? I I would uh, uh, given my my quote-unquote love of Games Workshop and 40k, I would probably call it a miss of the Stormtrooper variety. So, flagrant <laughs> miss. <laughs> uh, that would be a deliberate miss, I think. If yes. <laughs> Only Imperial Stormtroopers are so precise. 
Indeed. You say as they never hit anything again the rest of the series. <laughs> but it's it's all planned. Yep. Okay, so unfortunately Forge World, uh, the Mastodon is a bit, well, let's say it's extinct. Mm. Moving on from that horrible Neolithic pun, we move on to Games Workshop, the parent company, and they don't really have anything for Age of Sigmar. Uh, they just have the, the previous new releases. Uh, no previews. And although we do have various 40k Death Watch releases, I'm going to skip 99% of them because for me it's just Space Marine stuff painted black. But I am reliably told we do have a new release here, and that is in the Corvus Black Star, which is a new flyer for the princely sum of £40, which is apparently far, far more advanced than other Imperial craft which it resembles. Now, Craig, I think you did allude to this of why it uh, is more advanced. Uh, briefly, I mean, it's the it's supposed to be kind of the fly, primary flying thing for the Death Watch, so it's got all the shiniest toys. For as a kind of first among Space Marine craft, it looks like it would actually fly if subjected <laughs> to physics, <laughs> which of course we know don't exist in the forty k world. But. Yeah, not in any conventional sense, but it's nice to see that at some point whoever designed this looked at an actual aircraft at some point. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at a side rendition now, and it is actually longer than it is high, which I think might yeah. be a first. <laughs> I think oh, so, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it does, it does actually resemble almost normal aircraft proportions in, in that sense. I mean, from the front, it yeah. is about twice as thick as any flyer that you could really conceivably think of flying uh, but you know yeah. let's let's applaud their efforts at least yeah i mean as a flyer Not much an effort but it's well, it's there yeah. <laughs> i mean as a flyer i mean i'm looking around it now the 360 so it's a, it's a decently sized flyer it comes mounted on a standard flyer peg thing I don't know what you call mm-hmm. their their standard flyer base are, i think it's just yeah flyer base yeah are those jets on the back or an array of aft bolters I was just wondering it, it, that. It, they could be bolters or missiles. Or... Mm. <laughs> it, might, it might be the... Because it has this kind of chaff flare launcher thing. Oh, and like that. Okay. okay. That would make sense. You know, that looks like... That looks like they used portions of the Valkyrie chassis on it. Now it does look quite similar. Well, it wouldn't be the first time that Games Workshop have incorporated other parts of design. Yeah, yep. It's, again, obviously identifiable as an Imperial you know, Space Marine-type vehicle with the, the slight proviso that it looks like it might actually fly. <laughs> the bit I don't like about it, I don't like, obviously, it, it's pretty fetished. Um, I guess that's part of the, the 40K aesthetic these days. Uh, it's, it's a very, very imperial-looking thing. Yeah. You know, symbolism is everywhere on it. You would never guess that this was an inquisitorial ship with, you know, huge eyes emblazoned on both sides <laughs> of the, the front, which I guess... Are they, like, Those are doors. They look like Land Raider doors. Yeah, they are, aren't they? Yeah, that's the uh, exit points, because it's a transport as well. Okay, that makes the size of it more um, understandable. Yeah. It really reminds me of the dropship from um, Aliens. Oh, which is funny because Protoss Games just released the thing that they're releasing those now. <laughs> I just saw, actually just saw an ad, they have the models up for pre-order for the uh, the gunships from Aliens. 
I'm like, oh, baby. Just spectacular time. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how many pre-orders they will get, seeing as that uh, there are a lot of pissed-off people about uh, the, the AVP <laughs> pre-order Kickstarters there. But anywho... No. <laughs> Yeah, no, no. yeah. I mean, the you know, it's got inquisitorial eyes on the back. It's got the aquilas on each each wing. I mean, if I took those off, which I probably would, if possible, on this kit. Um, I don't know if they're molded in or they're separate. Quick look at the sprues would probably tell us that. Uh, I think I, the aquilas will be molded in because those are the same sections as you get on like the Storm Raven kit. They're molded in, yeah, and they're also molded on the doors. I'm kind of proud of them, though. I only see like two skulls. Well. Or wait, are those panels also? There do seem to be four skulls. I actually think those panels oh, on the wings with all the yeah. silver is uh, the... Yeah, yeah. Actually, no, it might be skulls. Yep, I really skulls. can't tell from the angle I've got here. Uh, yeah, they're skulls. I think they're skulls because the eyes are full of skulls. I think those are skulls. Oh, man. The, uh, the, the eye is... Uh, that's the like oath of hating the alien or something like that. I can't remember the proper name. Oh, the, the you'll suffer not the alien to live kind of thing. Something like that. Oh, maybe that is. Well, we'll see. Yeah. Okay, so it also has a huge pair of... Uh, what do you call those things? On Assault cannons. Assault cannons. Assault That's cannons. You can swap those out for las cannons as well, which makes it quite tasty. Oh, yes, yeah, so you can. It looks a bit sleeker, doesn't it? Yeah. And then unslung um, missiles on the wings and... Hurricane bolts on the back for some reason. You know, as a uh, as a flyer, I quite like this kit. Yeah, it's quite a nice looking ship. Would I spend forty pounds on it? Probably not. And not being a Death Watch player, um, it probably isn't going to. If I were a forty k player, I'm not a Death Watch player. Um, yeah. Then I probably wouldn't be looking at this anyway. Because again, if I was to convert it through to my own faction, it would be quite a lot of modification work with all of that moulded in detail. So I'd probably look at this and think, yeah, I wish there was a more generic one for me. <laughs> mm. I mean, Craig, you're, you're a Death Watch player. What do, you, what do you think to it? Will you be picking one up? I like it. It's It looks nice. The, the rules are solid, but not kind of overpowered in the way a lot of Games Workshop releases tend to be. It's... I'm, I'm planning on using two in a list that I'm going to be building over probably most of the next year. Okay. So, yeah, it's it. I like it. Definitely a hit from my end. Josh, how about yourself? Uh, it was it was, it was was going to be a near miss. Well, I should say it was going to be a near hit until I saw all the skulls, so it's going to be a miss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, look at all the skulls. Uh, no, 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 I think it is writing. Actually, no, it is writing. I think it's writing. Is it writing? Oh, okay. It's all writing, I think. Well, I can't, I can't see the flight. bits on the wings, but definitely that yeah. huge eye on the top is. Oh, that's an yeah. eye. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, I see it now. I didn't realise that on top that was an eye, but of course it is. Yes. If it's writing, yeah. If that's writing, then we'll go with the near hit, just because as space marine flyers go, that is more, I guess, more aerodynamically pleasing. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, that's a low. It's a low bar to put over. <laughs> but, but yeah, um, I, I'm going to say a miss because one, my vote doesn't count anymore because you both voted hit, so it's fine. Uh, but more importantly, I wouldn't buy this because it, it's it's such a niche thing for me. So I look at this and think, again, like I said, I wish there was a more generic version. So it's appealing to a very kind of narrow band of of players. Which 
I don't really get. You know, there are, there are elements of it I really like, but there are elements of it that I don't, and I don't enough that I wouldn't buy it. If somebody gave me one, or I found one in a sort of bargain bin somewhere, then I'd probably get one, because I would attempt the conversion, I guess. But for £40, uh, there are lots of other things that I could buy that I'd, I'd, I'd want more. So they're, they're minor points. They're not um, they're not big a near miss, as you said, Josh. You know, before the uh, before the schools were actually letters. Overall, <laughs> Corvus Black Star gets a hit, which is our first one for forty k from Games Workshop for a while. So nicely done, Games Workshop. <laughs> and then that brings us to our final uh, Games Workshop release for this episode, which is Kill Team. Now, Kill Team uh, for us older jaded players has been around for. Quite some time as a splinter of 40k, but it's now rather more official uh, with this release. So if we have a little look, it costs 40 pounds, which already is cheaper than the sum of the models contained in it because the tactical marine squad is normally 25, and the tower fire warrior uh, strike team is normally 30. So even if you were just looking at picking up uh, those two, or you have a friend who is going to pick up one and you're going to pick up the other you've saved some money you get a little small copy of the the warhammer 40k rules which is quite nice and you get the curl team book as well already for a a games workshop product you're talking about a a reasonable value here especially as you may be able to get this from you know online or discount retailers a little cheaper than this so it's already looking quite good so kill team it's more of a skirmish version of 40k for those of you who who aren't familiar now, I don't know the exact rules here. I know that Games Workshop talked a little bit in the past, what, 12 months, 9 to 12 months, about how they were going to be looking at their specialist games again, which everybody took with a sort of a large pinch of salt at the time. And this is kind of one of the first pieces of evidence that we've seen that they're actually putting some some force behind that. So we're here, you know, we have a, a box set containing okay, standard miniatures, but with a particular rule set and the, the full version of the, the rules if in small book format. So guys, what do we think of what do we think of Kill Team? Yeah. And it, like you say, if you're just even if you're just buying it for the models, you're getting a pretty serious cost saving on a games workshop product, which is, you know, possibly a small miracle in its in and of itself. <laughs> it's not there normally you buy this and that and it costs the same as both of them. So, yeah, I like I say I think it's gonna do quite well just it, it, I think quite a lot of people just getting into it will go, oh, that's a nice sort of cost-effective way for two people to get into the game and you get kind of a taste of the rules. And Kill Team in itself is generally quite a good game as well. Or it has been the cup twice I've played it under sort of the old rule set, obviously. I would say, I, I, I would say it's kind of like, eh. I, I've played Kill Team, different versions of it. The best version I ever played was actually a fan-made one, and they ran tournaments of that actually at Adepticon a couple years running pretty well. Um, but I'm like I said, I'm an yeah. Infinity player, so it's kind of like, oh, isn't that cute? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm kind of between you both, actually, because I, I think I've played, again, the fan-made Kill Team version of 40K. I, again, like you said, it was it was pretty fun at the time, but then I was naive and didn't really know of any of the system. Obviously, I don't know what these kill team rules are like, so it's difficult to judge that set. So I can only judge it really on the concept and you know what they're containing here. And I think I kind of agree with Josh here and the sort of 
Yeah. <laughs> because if this is their attempt to capture the the fast play sort of skirmish market, if you want to call it that, you know, let's call it the the X wing market because it kind of everybody can kind of relate to that. Yeah. They've taken two existing products, so they've not put any effort at all into sculpting or anything like that. So basically, what they've done is assigned somebody to write or update the kill team rules. And they already have the 40k small book. They had that from Death Mask release, yeah, if they didn't already have it before, we covered last week. So they've made a box, they've made some rules, and they've chucked in some sprues. Again, difficult to judge without knowing what the the rules actually are. If they're very good, then maybe this is a, a step on. If it's not, if it's kind of a rehash of some of the stuff in the past, why? I, I just don't see why I would... I would get into this. I'm assuming it's more of that rehash, uh, and it's a big assumption, but obviously it's based on the 40k rules. So I'm not expecting to see any innovative mechanics. You know, I'm not expecting to see some Halo ground combat sort of reaction mechanism or, you know, some infinity type reaction mechanism or, you know, anything particularly innovative if it's already based on a core set of rules which is already out there. So. It's kind of a, I see where they're coming from, but I just don't know if this is, is that too little, too late feeling? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But then again, yeah, maybe maybe it will just be very popular because it is, you know, that mass appeal thing. There's still a lot of 40k players around and this is a way for them to bring other players into the game quickly. Yeah. It could go either way quite easily. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's a very difficult one to call for me that's gonna be a miss uh, a very solid miss <laughs> i th- i think it could very easily go either way i mean i think just like from a games workshop perspective if you're going to be buying some games workshop stuff it would be a good way in so i'm going to call it a hit if if they're kind of pitching it right it could point it could do really well so yeah i mean for me it's quite unfortunately you've now given me the casting vote (laughs) (laughs) so i'm going to appear biased whatever i do i'm going to judge it purely as i said on kind of the concept and the fact that i'm assuming it's based on existing 40k rules because it does kind of say that yeah so i think it's it's kind of a miss because a narrow one because i can see the concept of what they're trying to do but i just don't know to me it's a little bit like the task force releases and the fast play release that spartan did for dystopian wars earlier this year it seems a little bit like it's been thrown together to kind of stem the tide of those games that have gained real popularity like x-wing over the past couple of years and i don't think that's enough you know for me the task force rules were amiss based on that you know they don't tie into the main game i don't know whether the kill team does but it's based on a rule set which isn't very popular at the moment among, you know, sort of the wealth of historical 40k players, let's call it that. So, you know, it's kind of building on a weak thing. They haven't put any new models in, you know, so it's kind of, here's a shiny box with something we already do to get you into the thing that we're already doing. So it's, it seems a bit of a lacklustre response to that kind of wave of, of popularity in these skirmish type games, which have gained popularity for more than that. You know, they've gained popularity because of, yes, of existing IP with with X-Wing, but not only that, they've got some nice innovative game mechanics, they've got pre-painted minis, they fundamentally have understood what people are looking for, and I think this, along with some of those other stopgap measures, doesn't really address that. So, for me, that's why it's a 
a narrow miss. I can see the concept uh, where they're coming from, but I don't think this fundamentally addresses some of those issues in the marketplace. So, sorry, Kill Team and Games Workshop, but we're going to call that one a miss. So, one each. That's not too bad. <laughs> it's better than Games Workshop have been getting in the past. So, uh, a, a definite improvement. Again, they're trying. They're trying. We just need a little bit more. Okay, so, it, as I said, it's been pretty quiet on the releases front elsewhere. So, let's go back to Josh to give us a roundup of uh, any goodies that have been seen at, uh, at the recent Gen Con 2016. So, Josh, what's been happening over there in the U.S.? Uh, well, Gen Con was, you know, bigger and better. Well, bigger, definitely, than it was in previous years. I think they hit their, uh, uh, beat their record from last year. I think they said something like uh, 200,000, like, turnstile uh, things, uh, which and it was about, like, 80-some-odd thousand attendees. So, yeah, it was... Downtown Indianapolis was, it, I think it literally added like a third more of the population or something. Just wow. Yeah, a third of the population increased. <laughs> wow, that, that's impressive. Just as a, a contrast to that, so where I was in holiday, uh, the region is called Meherin. The entire little area, that place has a, a total inhabitants of 250 people. <laughs> <laughs> so 80,000 is quite incredible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, it's it's ridiculous the amount of people there. Um, I uh, I actually I was pulling double duty. I was working most of the convention. I was working in the U.S. Infinity War Corps section in the event hall, uh, which some of the guys wanted me to change my uh, forum handle to Iron Man because I <laughs> I ran. God, what was it? I I worked for sixteen hours that day, something like that. It was something Ooh. ridiculous. I ran demos from like nine until six and then ran a tournament that night so it was uh yeah uh so so next year we expect you to see we see triple duty right yeah triple duty and a minimum (laughs) of 20 hours a day (laughs) uh but it was fun i got to uh hang out with uh all my fellow war corps the infinity guys uh as well as uh, uh kip parcel from the maya cast uh, podcast. We went out, uh, had some adult beverages on Wednesday night. Excellent. Um, then uh, I spent the next three days with uh, Neil and company at the Spartan Games booth, uh, talking to everybody about Halo Ground Command, which released um, at Gen Con. Excellent. How was that looking? It looks good. The miniatures, like the models, look fantastic. Like I've I've never been a big huge fan of like the fifteen millimeter, but like between like the stuff for Planetfall and now like the Ground Command stuff, like it's de- the detail is is there, and it in fact I think the Halo ones got a little bit more detail to them, uh, at least on like the infantry portion of it. But the models look fantastic. Gameplay is really good. I didn't get to do a whole lot of playing of games unfortunately but uh you know the response was really good from the uh from the fans and whatnot um and uh you know Derek and Martin were were running demos the whole time the ex- the exhibition hall was open so uh yes. they were getting getting a lot of people so 
Good. I, I mean, what I've seen of the, you know, I've seen the minis. I guess did they have the full range? They had the hunters and the vehicles there as well. Yep. Yep. Yeah. They had the uh, the hunters. They had the tanks, which were I think due out like next month or month after. Yep. Um, they're like a September or October release. Uh, and then they had the, they didn't have the Phantom dropship, but we had the, uh, the Pelican, oh, Pelican dropship on the table. So. Yeah, that's an impressive model, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's like they had the silhouettes and the, like, the render pictures at the booth, and people were like, oh, that's cool. I'm like, well, if you want to see how cool it really is, go over to the War Store booth and, you know, check it out, because we have one over there, and I go, trust me. The size of this picture doesn't do it justice when you see it on the table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but other than that, uh, I mean, there was a lot of good cosplay this year. In fact, the the winners of the cosplay contest was a was a hunter pack of space wolves with just ridiculous freaking costumes. Um, I think I saw pictures of that. Yeah, they're just, pictures don't do them justice. I saw them up close, and the intricacy they have on the armor is is. These guys must have spent months making this stuff. They like down to the wolf pelts, the haircuts, the facial tattoos, and it was it was crazy. So they won the costume contest at Gen Con, which there was some pretty good competition there. Okay, I've just uh, I've just googled that and uh, just pulled up a picture, and that's pretty impressive. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, that was that was very deserving. You know, they won that costume contest fair and square. And mostly it's because like, you look at it, it's like it's oversized, but it's the armor is actually proportional and wearable, but it still has that the, the aesthetic. So, um, other than other than that, there was a couple notes. I know it was a little lackluster this year. A lot of people were saying, um, mainly like two big companies weren't there this year. Uh, WizKids completely pulled out of Gen Con, and I guess they're going to be exclusively doing all their stuff at Origins. Um, and uh, Wizards of the Coast wasn't there at all, um, huh. which when you own Dungeons & Dragons and Gen Con basically started because of Dungeons & Dragons, it kind of... Uh, it's a weird move. It's a weird move. I mean, Pathfinder, Paizo Publishing was there in full force with like Pathfinder and Pathfinder Society. And there were people running D&D events, but nothing official. So, okay. So, do you think that's because, I mean, D&D 5th edition seems to have, you know, struck quite a chord with, with a lot of people. So it seems like an odd one to. Is it because it's done so well, or I, I I don't know, and that's I think because D D Fourth Edition put a lot of people off. Like yeah. it brought in a lot of new players, but it brought in different kind of players. And the more traditional, quote unquote, traditional D D players, you know, didn't like it at all. And Fifth yeah. Edition went more back to the traditional. You know, it feels like D D, but it's still a little different. Like I know. Like my group that we've been playing since high school, uh, you know, we we switched as soon as D and D three five, you know, was coming to an end and four zero was coming out. We looked at it. We switched to doing Pathfinder because it's basically three point five, you know, three point seven five, yeah. but you know, with all the improvements we wanted to see, so. Well, we weren't yeah. sure when uh, when version two came out, so. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I'm an AD&D version of one guy, and uh, I must admit, you know, 5th edition got uh, me interested and back into the game. So, um, yeah, it does seem, does seem an odd move. Because, yeah, like you it, said, it, it does feel like, it feels more like version 1, but for the 21st century. Yeah, and I mean, it feels like D&D, and that was the biggest complaint I heard from a lot of players, was 4th edition, yeah. if they hadn't called it Dungeons & Dragons, they probably would have enjoyed it. But since they called it yeah. D&D, it was, you know, it wasn't D&D. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's the whole reason that Pathfinder became a thing, isn't it? <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Okay. So uh, that's interesting. Interesting to see how that will develop, I guess, for, for the next conventions coming up. Because I guess there's we have uh, a couple more coming up in the US, don't we? We have, uh, is it Technicon over on the West Coast and uh, Nova in the, in the East? Yep. I'm actually myself, uh, uh, my girlfriend Christina, and then Larry, the North American Firestorm champ, are going to be heading to Nova this week, actually. Uh, we're heading out on Wednesday, and I'm going to be promoting uh, all of our uh, events and stuff at Adepticon 2017, because the, uh, the Firestorm GT at Nova is actually a qualifier for the North American Championships. So you're basically... The top two players at that at Nova will have a guaranteed spot and free entry into the North American Championships Excellent. at Adepticon. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, we're excited about that. We actually we just started Adepticon planning this week, and uh, we're having a full. We're going to be doing the full range of games from Spartan this year. We have space for the entire weekend, so we're going to be doing a Dystopian Wars tournament. Halo Fleet Battles Tournament, Halo Ground Command Tournament, uh, the, of course, the North America Championships. We're going to be doing a lot of the second year of the, the Schomburg Beachhead Planetfall GT. Uh, and we are planning on doing a very special narrative event on Friday night, which uh, we're still very much in the extreme early stages of developing. So Sounds good. It's going to be, uh, yeah, it's going to be, we're really expanding this year and we got a lot of good stuff planned and hopefully everything works out the way I want it to. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck with that. And, um, you know, I think Spartan seem to have become a lot, uh, smarter with uh, their support of tournaments over the last you know, six to nine months, I'd say. So, uh, and we're seeing them at a lot more events as well. Uh, I know both in the UK, yeah. you know, Dunbar's been doing a lot and their support yeah. of, you know, Gen Con and uh, the US tournaments now seems to be to be ramping up. So, yeah. uh, looking forward to that kind of increase of support there. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy that they've been more active and whatnot. And I'm actually also looking forward to going and having a pint with Dan this week. So, because <laughs> he's coming over for Nova. Yeah, he, he's a lightweight. So. You, you'll be able to drink him under the table, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen that guy drink. <laughs> okay. No, thanks for that, Josh. Perhaps to give people a little bit of encouragement for uh, the tournaments uh, of the future, we're going to be talking a little bit on the main topic today of uh, the Ralthosa, uh, continuing our Tacticus series on from the Cerulean's last week. We're balancing the books and uh, coming to their main opponents on the Xenian side of the, the conflict. As I've mentioned before, I started with the Ralthosa back in version one of the game. They were my very first fleet. You know, I liked the fact that they had a very different aesthetic, you know, with the vertical uh, oriented ships. I tend to go for the alien factions in, 
in most games anyway. And I do tend towards the dark side, let's call it. So the Rolthosa were kind of a natural choice. I had no idea that the Rolthosa were, let's put the, the difficult faction, in inverted commas. But Craig and Josh, where did you start with the, the Space Spiders? What were your... How long have you been playing with them? Were they your first faction, and what were your choices to to come to that decision? I would say Ralph actually weren't my first faction. My first faction was actually Rent System Navy, but I, as I got into, because I started playing in one point five, and so my, it's been my commiserations. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been playing for about five, like five years, five six years, and. Uh, I'd start off with RSN, and I actually didn't really start getting into Ralph until 2.0 came out. Um, and I, it just appealed to me because I, like you, Alex, I tend towards the alien factions, and I like the aesthetic of the ships, uh, especially some of the newer ones. And uh, like they reminded me of old Membari ships from Babylon 5, and I played Membari in uh, System Wars and whatnot, Babylon five wars old spaceship combat so uh but it was the aesthetic and then the the gameplay the style of play was vastly different from my usual you know kind of hammer and anvil type of deal um so a lot of people did see it coming (laughs) okay how about you craig i've been playing Ralph. they were my first fleet all the way back in the uh, antiquity of first edition before i storm basically got had had them described to me as sneaky, cloaky spider people in space, which, yeah, sold me pretty solidly on the idea. And, yeah, as probably anyone on the forums who's read any of my posts will know, I'm a big fan of the shunt mechanic. So I, I've, I haven't run a list with Ralthosa which has had less than three banes in it ever. <laughs> okay, well, that, that's certainly a good topic for discussion uh, in a little while. I know, Josh, you have a slightly different view on Shunt Matrix, so we will we will crack that walnut in a little while. But um, before we get to that, uh, let's talk a little bit around the basic Ralthosa performance and some of their ships. If we take a look at, let's start off with Tier 1 with the Ralthosa, because we, we covered that a little bit with, with Fred with the civilians last week, and we kind of basically came up with Tier 1's really what you leave till last. What about with the Ralthosa? Uh, where are their, their Tier 1's in the sort of overall power matrix of, of Firestorm? Are they some of the, the go-to ships that you look for, or are they kind of your second or third choices? Do you bulk out the rest of the fleet first, or do you build around a battleship or a carrier? Well... I for me it depends on the point level. If it's we're in a patrol fleet, then there's one auto include as my tier one, and that's huntsman because I love me some heavy cruisers. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually don't run carriers or uh, you know battleships or anything, uh, so I'll run huntsman as my tier one usually. Um, or my other one is the battleship just because he's. The battleship's always a really solid combatant. Um, higher point levels, my default tier one is generally an apex, just because it's it's a beast, and I can, I'll build the whole fleet. I'll build the whole fleet around yeah. that. Okay, let, let let's deal with that particular elephant in the room there, because I can hear Craig agreeing there. I personally agree. I think the apex is um, 
A, it's, I think it's one of the best-looking models in the game. I think it's a fantastic model. I love the way it looks. I love the way it towers above most of the rest of the ships in the game. Um, also, it has that sort of visual imposition. But also, you know, stat-wise, it is a really solid ship. It is an absolute monster. To lose an apex is to, you know, become fodder for your children. <laughs> <laughs> in good Malthosa tradition. Sound like speaking from experience. <laughs> No, I don't think I've lost an Apex yet. I've come close. What is it that makes the, the Apex a good ship, then? Well, I, besides just it's... It has a good array of weaponry, and it's it's a robust ship. Like, I can I can either choose to, like, shunt deploy it right, right into the midst of the enemy, or I can bring it up with the cloak and stealth systems and, you know, some support ships benefiting from the cloak... Uh, for stealth systems, you know, coming up the coming up the table, you know, hitting it with kinetic weapons and torpedoes, and then giving them like a full broadside when I drop my cloak, and then you know at that point the self repair kicks in, and you know if my dice are are favorable that day, it usually means that uh, I get into the winning side of an attrition match with an enemy fleet. Especially if it's like they're not good close up, you know, like Dendrenzi or whatnot. They want to keep me at 24 inches and I close the distance. Uh, it makes it difficult. The only thing that really, and honestly, the Apex has been the only thing that can get into the midst of Larry's freaking Aquian horde <laughs> and actually hurt it, it. Yeah, well, and that's the thing is I have lost Apexes. On numerous occasions, trying to take on, uh, you know, two to three uh, Aquian Tier 1s at once. But it's one of the only ships that I would attempt to take on three Aquian Tier 1s at, with, you know, at the same time. Because <laughs> yeah. it can yeah. engage, it can engage them. Yeah. So. How about you, Craig? What, what's your, your highlights of the Apex? Yeah, I mean, it is just an absolute monster of a ship. You can build it in any of really, in my opinion, about three different ways and just change it to any role you have. So, I mean, you set, you give it the wing capacity and it's suddenly probably the most brutal carrier in the game because, I mean, that firepower combined with a full wing of bombers, ugh, that's just horrible. It, that will destroy squadrons by itself and not really take a scratch in return. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's... I mean, it's basic stat. It's 711 DRCR, which is pretty yeah. solid, you know, in, in any list. Yeah. But beyond that, it's got 11 hold points. You know, I mean, you're only really looking at uh, things like the Retribution, which, which top that. Mm. And like you say, unlike the Retribution, it's carrying wings as stock. I mean, obviously, you have to pay for wings, but it's mm. got three. You can upgrade that to six, so then you're talking a full... Um, full wing of bombers or assault craft like say you can add three to its assault yeah. points as well make it 10 ap so then you've got that kind of double whammy it's the only Rolthosa ship i think which has um, all arcs up to range band four now okay we're only throwing yes. you know four fixed you're throwing six dice at range band four which isn't a huge amount but it's more than anything else we've got <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, range with the Rolthosa isn't a big thing, and I, I'm guessing we're going to come on to that when we talk about use of cloaks and tactics. Yeah. In addition to that, you know, it's throwing a lot of torpedoes. You know, it's got a 9 9 10, 10 um, torpedo spread, which is, when you're cloaked, it's a, it's a fair number of attack dice to be throwing out, you know, and you can reliably 
start taking stuff down, even at the early stages of the game, unless the opponent gets very lucky with PD. Yeah. The other thing that I really like about the Apex is the maneuverable Mar, because it's just something that, if you're not used to playing the Rathosa, surprises a lot of people when you can stick this thing, you know, in the middle, cloaked, uncloak it, switch the engines off and turn it around, cloak it, unplug it. <laughs> and it's just <laughs> sitting there, rotating around, and you're just thinking, what the hell is this? <laughs> this huge model just standing there, uh, motionless. Rotating and then blowing its stuff up. Rotating around, flicking its cloak on and off, you know, throwing out 18 attack dice in range band 2 and it's full fixed, um, you know, with reasonable broad size in a starboard port. I think it also pairs well with some of the other ships, like the battleship, you know, which is a very broadside focused yeah. ship. Here you've got which is four fixed with reasonable broadsides. Combines quite well. You know, it's quite a nice synergy between those two ships. So there, I think there are lots of strengths of it. I think, you know, as you said, it, it kind of can be configured to do a lot of different things. It's very versatile. Yeah. I would agree. I think the Apex is probably our, our standout best ship of, of any, which I, I guess a lot of fleets are going to say about their Dreadnought. Tier 1... Apex, if we if we can. Otherwise, Josh, you mentioned heavy cruisers. Yeah. You mentioned Huntsman, but personally, I'm a Scarab guy. <laughs> I, I have three of the version one cruisers, which I think are one of the nicest looking models that was uh, the Spartan had made, especially for the earlier generation, yeah. which, yes, some of the newer stuff is more detailed, arguably, than, than the Scarabs, but the Scarabs just such a nice design, and it looks like a heavy cruiser. It's got weapons everywhere <laughs> yeah i'd agree with that i'm a scarab person as well on that one so what makes the scarab good then well it's <clears throat> as heavy cruisers go i mean it's it's a five seven so it's not anything like real dramatic there but it has six hull points with the cloak um it also has the self-repair system stock so the ships are survivable you know they're they're able to get into the thick of it um they also have like good weaponry, like nine dice at the range band two. So, you know, full squadron of three is throwing 18 dice between, you know, 8.1 and 16 inches. Uh, I personally, with these ones, the cloak is, if I deploy them on the table, the cloak is up. But most of the time, if it's not my admiral, like my admiral isn't on them, uh, I actually shouldn't deploy them. Um, and drive them like right into the middle of a fleet where they can engage multiple targets, you know, multiple numbers of a squadron or multiple squadrons. Yeah. And it, it makes it so that my opponent has to deal with them because you just can't ignore them. It's not like, Oh, we dropped something in there. I can, you know, finish them off quickly. And it's like, no, you have got 18 hull points worth of ship right there that you have to deal with <laughs> yeah. well you say 18 hull points but you mentioned the self-repair mark and yeah exactly. more often than yeah, not at least yeah when you're taking hull points off these you know and i mentioned this several times in the past now i faced heavy cruisers with dindrenzi for the first time last warfare and yeah i took quite a lot of hull points off them and then they just put them back on and it's just why won't these things die <laughs> <laughs> it's they are amazingly resilient for a ship which as you said didn't doesn't really shine in the drcr department it's not that tough but those combination mm. of, of factors you know really make it resilient you know they stick mm. around a long time yeah if you want them dead you've got to commit to it and commit hard mm -hmm. yeah. yeah 
Which means you're not focusing on the, you know, the brood or the apex or whatever else it is that the Elthos are throwing mm-hmm. at you. Yeah. Exactly. And that's, they're, they're almost my auto-include in every list, which makes list building challenging considering that the squadron is like 270 points base. <laughs> yeah, that that was one thing I was going to say. They are reasonably expensive ships. You know, almost a hundred point stock is is quite a lot for a cruiser. Yeah. Yep, but they're beastie, and yeah. I've I've had them. You know, I've had them hold whole tables, be the you know last men standing, so to speak, and just not like refuse to die. And I've actually swung games back with just huntsmen on the table engaging multiple targets and regenerating their hull points and just, you know, all of a sudden you got to commit all these resources and they're like, well, maybe we can do a boarding action. I'm like, yeah, come on, do a boarding action. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, bring it on. (laughs) Okay, so we we mentioned, I say we, using the royal we, meaning you. You mentioned the carriers before. Do you, have you used hives, Theridian class carriers? Because I know some people swear by them. Uh, and one of the reasons being is the shunt matrix. Yeah. Now I'm guessing with your particular love of shunt matrix, Josh, that's perhaps not a fact. Not, not <laughs> particularly. Uh, the carriers I've, I actually just only recently, like within the past year, actually picked up a carrier. Um, I've actually traditionally, when I've wanted to include a carrier in the list, I've actually used the Argus from the RSN or included a Pakash battle carrier. Okay, that's kind of cheating, but yeah, I can see that. <laughs> but it's it's it it's my playstyle though. Like I, everybody was surprised when I started playing Ralph because I tend to rush forward and just hammer the ever living daylights out of everything. And everybody's like, "You can't play Rolthosa because they require a little bit of finesse." And when I actually beat George, uh, who's spelled that wrong on the community forum. Uh, when I beat George's Jindrenzi and then beat Neil's Terrans rather handily, they're like, huh, that's mm. weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, I'm a fan of carriers in general, but it's just, I, I've, I've been still trying to experiment with my own, like the, with the hive, because it's, it's a okay. good carrier, you know, when it comes down to it. Yeah, how about you, Craig? Because you are a shunt matrix guy. I'm a very, very shunt matrix guy. Here's a tier one that can can shunt. Yeah, the carrier is basically my uh, scarabs in this case. The carrier is my go-to tier one, and it is that kind of squadron is what I build around. So use what I tend to do is use the carrier with at least one bane accompanying it full wing of bombers and then season with interceptors basically and run them around the board shunting across everywhere and then use the tag card to drag typically a battleship behind people and then laugh at them so you mentioned that particular tactic like just explain that for those who, who may not be quite as familiar with the real those and some of their little tricks uh, because this is a fairly popular and quite lethal tactic isn't it yeah so this is the uh, FSD Calculators Networks TAC card, which allows you to take a ship or squadron with systems network and deploy them within eight inches of your Admiral's vessel. And when they come in, you roll on the shunt matrix, uh, shunt entry chart. 
And I tend to do this with my ca- carrier as my admiral, jumping them around the board, trying to keep them sort of as unpredictable as possible, and then just at the right moment, bring in the battleship, and then suddenly there's a battleship behind you. Yeah. And that really makes a lot of people panic and spread out, which lends itself kind of really well to that is the kind of lists I tend to run. So I like just dragging people's ships around the board just by virtue of moving the threats so so much. So perhaps that's a good a good point actually to depart from our, our normal structure here and talk a little bit about tactics because in a way I don't think you can talk about Rothosa ships in isolation because they do have these very different ways of being built in terms of the fleet and mm. then the kind of tactics you're going to use uh, and you've just mentioned their you know, this ability to basically teleport a ship from anywhere <laughs> right next to a squadron and that's a massive destabilizer you know for the opponent because you don't know that could be any ship with systems network right? yeah you could drag an apex somewhere if you wanted or indeed a weaver battle station yeah i've done that before <laughs> that's funny that's my usual tactic is the battle station, actually. <laughs> so perhaps we talk a little bit about, you know, and Systems Network for those uh, non-Relthosa players is a, a pretty ubiquitous mar with the Relthosa. And it allows basically the, well, the normal use of it is to allow ships with Systems Network that are within command distance of a Relthosa ship with a cloak to gain the stealth systems mar. So it's a way of keeping your, your small ships alive at range, effectively, because most of the small ships don't have cloak. However, as you mentioned, the, the FSD calculator's network card does allow this rather novel use, which is very disruptive. And I think if I had to describe the Relthosa's tactics in, in any one word, it would be that disruptive kind of tactics they they don't play necessarily how you would expect the opponent to play and i think josh you've kind of alluded to that by the way that you know they don't naturally go to your play style and people didn't expect you to do well with them however you ended up beating people because you can't really for me predict the way that the relthosa will play you know until you actually started playing the player even if you see the ships you think i don't know which way they're going to run these (laughs) because there's a number of options even when you're on the table you know i mean you've mentioned you like to to use that how how do you uh, craig how do you actually exploit that on the board you know pulling ships around you know you've mentioned the fsd tack yeah how else do you kind of you know use that to your advantage against enemy fleets i yeah i I use a lot of shunting and a lot of wings so there's bombers everywhere and interceptors everywhere else basically and it's just using shunt as much as possible to dance around the board, keeping as unpredictable and seemingly random as possible and trying to just catch things splitting off and just catching things in isolation and just pouring fire into them. And then just breaking a squadron at a time and just flitting around, moving on. The the, the key thing with with the way I play is to just keep the uh, tactical initiative so keep the opponent reacting to what you're doing rather than letting them force that on you it's it's, it's all about kind of staying unpredictable and then trying to just force poor decisions through oh god where do i go sort of syndrome yeah because there's uh, I mean, if we ro- roll back right to basics on the rolthosa the rolthosa are a pretty average faction in terms of fleet tactics bonus you know they've got plus two yeah. so you know you're not relying on going first they do have an exceptional command distance 
they have an 8-inch okay. command distance range, which, again, with the carrier, in the way that also you can buy extra command distance, you can actually buy two extra inches of, of command distance, though I don't think I've seen anybody do it, which can give you enormous range. Yeah. You know, you're running fighters with carrier with extended command range. What's that, 28 inches of, of scope? Which is pretty massive. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, if, yeah, you've, fighters. if you've got small ships uh, running around, you know, you're going to clean up quite a lot of those with, with that kind of threat range. Yeah. And again, for me, I'd agree with you, Craig, you know, it's that unpredictability. It's like, what could I do? I could do an awful lot here. And you've no idea which of those options I'm going to take. And yeah. whatever you do... I have the option of doing something, you know, I can kind of see where you're going and what you're trying to counter, so I'll do something else. Yeah. You know, take away that advantage from you, like you say, keep that tactical initiative. Yeah. It's, it's particularly infuriating for Dindrenzi players because they like everything nice and lined up in front of them with all those big, big, nasty four-fix guns. Yeah. But then you're just not there, and it's like, oh, well, what do I do now? Yeah. I can't turn. I'm playing Dindrenzi. <laughs> And how about you, Josh? Because, you know, not using Shunt Matrix, you won't have that same ability to kind of jump around in that that way. So how do you approach it? Well, I uh, I use Shunt Deployment uh, a lot with different squadrons and whatnot, and I also actually go for more of the, uh, shall we say, like the trapdoor spider kind of play method, right? I corral the ships that I want into the areas I want to pick them off and I make it look like it's the opponent hurting me. So it's, it's kind of like I play to the Rothosa warrior of springing the trap. The hunter becomes the hunted. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So it, it doesn't always work. And, um, but more often most, you know, I'm able to, like cordon off, uh, like I'll literally I'll throw my admiral's vessel out as kind of bait, you know, to lure in the bigger ships, and that's when, you know, that opens up a, a space for my heavy cruisers to jump in. But it also allows me people they expect, especially in the Lansing meta, they expect my heavy cruisers to be shunt deployed. But I use that to my advantage, where I I'll shunt deploy them, not necessarily where they think I'm going to. And then all of a sudden they get blindsided by another squadron they hadn't really had, you know, any thoughts about. Yeah. Um, and I think it's funny, like, I've yet to meet a Rolthosa player. Like, every Rolthosa player I meet plays them differently. Like, there's another player, one of the other vanguards in Michigan, Mike Williams, he's over in Grand Rapids. He swears by a heavy cruiser in with his cruiser squadrons. Right. Okay. And running, and he and he runs carriers and stuff, and he plays a very slow, grinding. It kind of like frustrates the ever living daylights out of him. Like every game that I've seen Mike play, this is the slow grind that <laughs> that hit, people just get end up getting frustrated. And it's just this, like because the ships won't die, or they will die, but it's just like it takes so long. Yeah. So he and he. All of a sudden, he like he springs a trap on him, and like, oh, what happened to my admiral? Why did my command ship die? What happened? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I think that's. Um, I mean, I saw that with uh, you know playing against Rolthosa. Um, uh, it, it it is incredibly frustrating sometimes. You know, you throw 
especially it's Dindrenzi, and you mentioned that Dindrenzi like everything to be lined up, and they've got this plan of just like, I'll hit them hard, you know, early game, fragment it, and then I'll, you know, bring this in and I'll mop up with, you know, Sigians or whatever, which is fine, provided that initial big attack does something. When it doesn't, you're kind of like, well, now I'm in a position I don't really want to be, <laughs> and I've not got that advantage. So now my mopping up isn't mopping up, it's kind of the initial breaking, and, you know, Rathosa are very good at, you know, taking those, yeah, I've got 16 attack dice. Oh, well, no, I'm cloaked, so you've got eight. Okay. Um, okay, I've got, I got seven. Seven hits. And no, you didn't. <laughs> it's just like, oh, for God's sake. Is that- <laughs> what did you get? Three. <laughs> okay, I'm guessing that's not enough. <laughs> so they're really good at blunting them, yeah. and yeah. perhaps that's actually something we should we should tackle now yeah. before we get too much into the these other elements, is the cloak, the stealth system. Uh, and the shunt matrix. So, well, those that we've mentioned uh, in the, the heavy cruisers, 4-7 is pretty weak for a heavy cruiser. You know, usually we're looking at sort of the 5-8 kind of kind oh, of range, yeah. aren't we, in Firestorm. But of course, Ralthosa yeah. capital ships, almost exclusively, have cloaks. So, uh, a cloaking system in, in Firestorm basically halves the attack dice thrown at it, which is pretty nice. You know, as I said, you, know, you can take a 16 attack dice attack into an 8 attack dice and that's it's a very i think psychologically disabling mechanic as well because firestorm is about positioning and rolling lots of dice and denying the opponent the ability to do that yeah. i feel is it, it's a lot more powerful than it first seems yeah you know, yes it's powerful to have those dice but i think the psychological effect of that as well even if the other person doesn't really know it is quite more than you would imagine it to be so the cloaking you know is a huge part of the survivability of Ralthosa ships. Added to that, we have stealth systems. A lot of the, the ships have stealth systems, which obviously attacks over 20 inches have to re-roll successes. So again, you're reducing statistically by 50% the amount of hits that you will get. So already you've got 16 attack dice. Statistically, really, you're rolling four. It's <laughs> it's all waiting in the favour of the Ralthosa here, which brings you really then down to the point of when do you drop your cloak? For me, this is the kind of fundamental point with the Ralthosa, is getting that right is the difference between winning with Ralthosa and you know, taking your fleet home in a carrier bag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, how do you guys deal with the... Uh, and I'll tell you, the, the original time I started with Ralthosa, and when I see, if you like, inexperienced players play Ralthosa, and the, the big shout-out I would give to everybody is, don't drop your cloak too soon. <laughs> Yeah. Being hasty with Ralthosa is usually the death knell. Uh, that, that's what I've personally experienced and seen. I don't know whether you guys feel the same thing or have seen that. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. You don't want to be dropping your cloaks too soon. Uh, dropping them too late can be just as bad, depending on how things are going with your own hull and everything. But definitely do not be dropping them too soon. Ideally, you want to kind of drop stuff, drop cloaks in isolation, and so then you can kind of switch your opponent's target priority around by only having one set uncloaked at a time, but if you kind of really need to push the points, then you've got to bring stuff down. It's it's very, very dependent on board state, so if you've got a, a lot of guns from your opponent in one place, you don't want to be decloaking too much in that area. You can kind of get... Fitting with my own playstyles, flitting around the edges, decloaking a few things at a time, and then just kind of recovering and keeping 
just trying to make sure the trade of fire is always your way. Uh, my uh, my experience is I I kind of follow along the same lines where it's I'm dropping when it's most oppor you know basically I have the most opportunity, but I also tend to do a lot of I'll drop cloaks to uh, redirect target priority. Uh, you know, I'll kind of give them like like bait. Basically, I'm using dropping cloaks on certain squadrons or ships that appear as bait. Like I'll make the make it so that the like a squadron of cruisers or something like that is in a very threatening position or possibly could be in a threatening position. I'll drop cloak and you know that'll direct that hostility. Like the enemy perceives uh, that squadron as the main threat. So I drop the cloak, entice them even more, but that, you know, then they kind of ignore what the trap that I'm really kind of setting up, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah. yeah. Like, it's basically, it's redirecting and kind of directing your opponent where you want them. So you can lay out your trap, spring it, and then, you know, you play the... I, I've always been of the mindset that Relthosa, not only do you have to be, there's nuance to playing them, but they're a mental, you know, they're a big part of playing them is having a good mental game going with your opponent. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I, I'd agree. I mean, I think, and I think, you know, you mentioned it as well, Craig, it's this, you know, they are a frustrating faction to play against. And, you know, Joshua as well, you know, the, the people that you've mentioned, in my own experience, you can, I mean, you might not win many friends playing this way, <laughs> but that slow grind, you know, the frustration, frustration is the, the bane of any admiral, right? Any commander, any, any games player, because when you get frustrated, you make mistakes, right? You do hasty things, you start doing things you wouldn't normally do, you take chances, and that's what the Relthosa really sees upon. It's like, oh, you've done that, really? <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. playing playing chess when somebody suddenly starts, you know, putting their queen in risky positions. It's like, well, I've been waiting for that and I'm prepared to sacrifice these pieces to take that because that will give me the advantage. Yeah. For me, it is that kind of, I always think of the, of the Star Trek, the Picard line uh, about the Romulans. It's always a game of chess with the Romulans, you know, and that's how I feel about the Ralph Thoser is it's this, this is grand plan. Uh, and you've both mentioned it. It's like setting this trap for the enemy. It's distracting them. It's always keeping the, the initiative, you know, and that might not be the actual initiative. It's just where I'm going in my mind, you know, <laughs> where I want that fleet to be. They're yeah. taking my bait. They're doing what I want them to do so that I can then unleash this, which they don't realize yet. Yeah. The biggest trick you can play as a Ralthosa player is keeping the initiative constantly, but making your opponent think they've got it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it, but if you can do that, it's very, very tough to stop a Ralphos list. Yeah, if you get momentum, especially if you get like a, you know, actual gameplay physical momentum, so to speak, and then you get that kind of like mental, you know, you set up that mental, you're in total control of you know everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it it's hard to stop the the avalanche once it starts. Yeah, and it, again, it's a very kind of chess thing to do. So you, the thing in chess is to make sure your opponent thinks they're winning right up until the point you kill them. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the only, ironically, the the easiest way to lose is to become overconfident. Yep. Is to 
being the, the point of that avalanche where it hasn't quite got yet and you take those chances and suddenly you've given that psychological initiative to the enemy yep. because it's then you've overexposed and overextended yourself and then suddenly and unlike most enemies you face Rathosa really don't have the durability to tolerate mistakes you know if no. you make a mistake no. with Rathosa ships they tend to die <laughs> yeah and it's usually quite messy yes yeah you know drop your cloak too early you know on that I've said it before it's always worth throwing the dice in Firestorm it is if you get the opportunity but that's not worth <laughs> dropping your cloak for. You know, a yeah. three-attack dice <laughs> attack is not worth risking, you know, basically nope. halving yeah. your defences, you know. And that's where I've lost games before and lost ships is where I get <laughs> careless like that. So I think the big piece of advice I'd give any new player with Rothosa is to just, you know, always second-check yourself, uh, you know, give yourself that little mental check of, is this really what I want to do? Is this really fitting with my grand plan or am I shortcutting myself? Yeah, absolutely. Hasty decisions are not a good Yeah, have I run the numbers? <laughs> so with that kind of understanding of the sort of broader, almost strategic view of the game, you, you kind of have to have... Let's go back to our, our ship analysis. And we picked out a few a few choice ships there. I want to come back to the tier ones, actually, and just look at the one we haven't mentioned, which is the, the Raptor, the Battlecruiser. Do either of you, or have either of you run, run Raptors in, in what sort of situations, and, and how do they play compared to some of your other tier ones? I would say I have run them a few times, actually. Um, usually it's going to be as like a secondary tier one, and they're kind of there to do support. Uh, like if I run a, an assault heavy list, they're they're always in it, in an assault heavy. Um the amount of, uh, uh, you know, being able to do launch two assaults per ship, you know, they have a good AP at seven base, but you can get it up to nine, which is the same AP value as the battle station. So, um, yeah, it's pretty, and the weaponry wise, they're not bad at all. You know, you're again, it's the 18 seems to be the magic number in the 16, you know, on the starboard port, and the uh, range band two for a lot of the uh, uh, bigger, like I should say, the tier ones and whatnot, the bigger vessels, the bigger combat vessels. So they're no slouch in ability to, you know, they can engage on one side, they can engage a big ship on one side, and then you know, utterly annihilate a cruiser squadron by boarding it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and just as a side note for again, new players or those thinking of playing Rothosa. 18 attack dice is worth dropping your cloak for. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's, it's one of those other things, too, is you can still launch the assaults while you're cloaked. So you don't get your dice reduced yeah. on assaults, being able to launch nine die boarding assaults or 18 die boarding assaults. Like these, these things can successfully board dreadnoughts and have a chance of taking them over. So yeah. it's. <laughs> they're especially pretty assault pretty blitz in there as well. Yeah, which which is nice. Oh yeah, yeah. Especially yeah, you get the assault blitz in there. Yeah. So in my assault heavy lists, these guys tend to be rather than using the uh, uh, the system wars. Uh, what was the name of that guy? I forget right off the the uh, the Ophaka, uh I tend to use the battle cruisers over the assault carrier. Purely because, even though they cost more points, purely because of the 
just the sheer brutality and the assaults they can launch. Yeah. Yeah, they are they're almost assault battle cruisers, aren't they? Oh yeah. Near but enough, that's yeah. the they're assault battle cruisers, but they still have like weaponry, like a like a battleship. So it's Yeah. And and they have decent I mean for for Rothos's ships, you know, a five nine is not bad. You know, it's better no. than the carrier. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're tough, they're reasonably quick. Cloaking fields protecting them on the approach, stealth systems native. There's not really a lot to complain about on that thing. No. I've never used them myself. Never got around to buying them, so but Absolutely, see. No, see, that's it. We've just talked about how great they are. I've never used them either. (laughs) I, I, yeah, it's like I've used them on a few occasions, and they, they, they're very capable ships. So if you're going, like, especially in a higher point level, it's a really good secondary to take. Um, Like, if I'm going to be sporting like a battleship instead of like taking an apex. I'll take a battleship and a and a pair of raptors because you're, uh, you know that's 240 points base, um, which is 30 points cheaper than a base apex. So, you know you can fill in. You give it the plus one AP. There's another 10 points for both of them. You give them the second assault. There's the 30 points. So you know nine AP per ship. Or, or you could give them second assault. Excuse me, because that's right. Second assault's a hard point. Yeah. But um, giving them second assault or the plus two AP. I usually go with the plus two AP, just because if I'm going to use them, they're going to be assaulting the admiral's vessel uh, almost exclusively. And, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean they're they're awesome ships. Okay, so let's just move on then to the the second dreadnought we have, or uh, the battle station, the Weaver class. Uh, and I say that because uh, stock, this is 190 points, but you load it up with some of the more choice Mars that it has, and uh, you're talking dreadnought level points. But the Weaver, to me, is it's a pretty awesome, I don't know whether you could call it a ship, I guess you can as a battle station. You know, I actually, once I worked out how to put it together, <laughs> I really like the model. <laughs> but it was one of the ships that I did curse Spartan several times on not producing any instructions for. <laughs> uh, and I almost broke several of the acrylic pieces several times before I, I worked out how I did it. <laughs> I was going to say, I... I did break I, an acrylic piece. Yeah, I dropped mine. I well, it's I dropped mine at Origins, and I can't, I couldn't find the acrylic piece that broke uh, off, so mine's missing an arch. Yeah, battle damage. Got to figure. Out. Yeah, I was say I'm gonna figure something out when I paint it, make it look all just battle damage. Just take off the corresponding pieces on both sides and just make it symmetrical again. <laughs> Cut your <Yeah>. losses. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. But this is a, a, a DR7 CR11 vessel. Yeah, it, it crawls along at one inch because it's a battle station, right? However, of mm. course, it has the no FSD mark, but of course, obviously it does, because um, it's a battle station. However, of course, one of the hard points is that you can remove that. Now, because it has systems network, this then allows you, as you mentioned before, Greg, to use the FSD calculators networked card, which makes this probably the worst shunt bomb in the entire game, I would say. It's pretty evil. It's scary. Yeah. It doesn't have huge weapons, but it has them in all arcs, out to range bone three. It has great torpedoes, six, eight, eight, ten, twice, 
in all arcs. So you hit something with two volleys of 10 AD of torpedoes, even stop, you know, with all its PD, it's, you know, it's going to suffer. Uh, it's going to feel it. As uh, Josh, you mentioned, AP9, you can gain second assault on it as well. It has eight wing stock, which you can boost to 10. I don't think I've ever seen anybody do that, but, you know, it's got a bunch of, of options and a lot of versatility. Plus, of course, it's cloaked. You know, you shunt bomb this thing around with torpedoes and wings on it. You don't even need to uncloak it. It's it's pretty evil. Yeah. I think that's all we can say about it, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I, I do like the weaver. There's not a lot else to say at that point. <laughs> no. I, I mean, I guess the counter to that, I guess, is why wouldn't you take the weaver? Uh, it, you kind of have to build, build the list. You know, yeah. it's got some purpose like i'll use this thing like if i know i'm going to be playing a game that has like objectives where i have to hold an objective or something yeah yeah i'll sure. i'll take a weaver yeah because at that point it's just like okay it doesn't really matter where i deploy it because i'm just gonna die anyway. yeah exactly so it's like i'm gonna dive the ship in and boom reroute systems or yeah fsd calculators and bam then my battle station's on the objective. Good luck, you know, getting <laughs> yeah. out. Good luck getting rid of that, ever. Sure. Yeah. Shall we just call the game now and go for a beer? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's yeah, I mean, it's putting a, an immovable object, <laughs> yeah. you know, that can engage everything. So, yeah. Okay. Potentially up to five targets a turn. Six targets. Yeah. Yep. Plus a boarding Plus assault on a, and wings. on a seventh. And wings. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, it's a... Uh, it's a mobile oppression palace. Yeah. Exactly what it <laughs> Drop is. it in the middle of your opponent's fleet and then potentially kill eight ships in an activation. Yeah. And then just laugh. That's going to ruin anybody's day. <laughs> because at that point, what could you do? Yeah, so if you want cheat mode for Rolthosa, just take the Weaver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you really do need to build around that. Yeah. Uh, idea, though. Yeah. You, you have to take Weaver, you need your probably a shunt carrier as your admiral, just for the getting the, getting the mobility and dragging the Weaver around where you need it. Especially brutal in objective games, of course. Yeah. And somebody will probably just put that uh, you're not allowed battle stations in this scenario. <laughs> and then you stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, well, what about, we mentioned the, the System Wars ships uh, a little bit before, the Uthaka, uh, the Assault Carrier. Either of you um, used that much? I haven't. Um, but again, like on paper, looking at it, it you you know take the right set of upgrades on it, and it turns into something very, very nasty. I would say I, I have used the Uthaka on a couple different occasions, and it's actually... Uh, acquitted itself fairly well but it's one of those ships that I need to do like some more some more live fire exercises I guess with to really see uh, how well it can hold up because it's it's uh, um, I don't know it's a little undergunned for my taste. Yeah I mean the Usica it's there are several advantages to it um, I mean, one is you would never ever uncloak it um, yeah. unless something horrible happens. <laughs> yeah. Like the direct, director at turn up and switch off its uh, cloaks. Um, you know, you can get self repair, but. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty much the only 
Uh, I, I did see somebody play one and uncloak it, and it wasn't pretty afterwards. <laughs> uh, well, let's say it was flying through an asteroid field at the time, and not much came out of it. <laughs> so, oh, jeez. Oh, yeah, I, I love the model. I think it's a great model as well. Yeah, it's beautiful. You have to have, and again, that's it probably goes back to what we've alluded to with the Weaver. You have to have a set idea, and I think this probably goes with all Rothos' lists, of, of what you're trying to achieve with your list before you start. I don't think there are too many generic Rothos' lists that you can just kind of write, this is my standard format, and then I'll just go with it, you know, and, and adapt to situation. No, yeah. no, not at all. I mean, you can try that, but good luck. <laughs> Maybe you're just a better player than me. <laughs> but yeah, the Ithaca is it's an interesting it's an interesting ship. But again, I think the Rolthoser have so many different options available to them. For me, it's always difficult to choose what I want without... It's a bit like going for a curry. I don't know if this translates across to the, the US, Josh, but whenever I go for a curry, there's always that feeling that, you know, I should really try something new because there's so much to choose from here. But in the end, I know what I'll end up choosing. One of about three dishes that I, you know, always go to, you know, <laughs> that I know that I know I like and, you know... I know I'm comfortable with, I know it will be good, and so I'll go with that, you know. Because maybe the thing that's interesting that's on the menu, actually I won't like, you know. And the Rothosa to me are a bit like that. Yeah, yeah. I'd say it sounds like when uh, the girlfriend and I go for Thai food. Yeah. I, you know, I there's all these wonderful things on the menu, but yeah, I'm going to get the same thing every time. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep, yep. Yeah, it's the Rothosa, they're specialists. They're really, you know, they have a big toolbox and you can really customize your, uh, your list to like whatever mission or objectives you're trying to, you know, achieve. Yeah, so we've talked a little bit about the, the tier one ships. Let's, let's go down a tier now to tier two. And let's start off with the, the bog standard regular cruiser because I've found this to be quite divisive with players. Some people absolutely love them, swear by them, will t- take tons of them, uh, and others, like me, always look at them and think, you know, if we just wish it was a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> so where do you guys stand on the, the basic assassin, gila, or swarm? I, I mean, I it depends. I've, I've had good luck with them, but they're, yeah, I mean, they're a standard cruiser for me, so it's kind of like, eh, they could be a little bit better. And they're not my initial, like, go-to tier two, um, you know, when I'm making my, my lists and whatnot. I actually tend towards more towards destroyers uh, and now the gunships uh, when I build. But, you know, once in a while I do include the cruisers because either, like, oh, you know, I've got 180 points that left or I've got, like, 187 points left. Okay, we'll take some, we'll take some cruisers. <laughs> If you ever get 187 points left, I want to know how. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he was playing a 3,000-point game. Well, it's, it usually adds up, okay, I have all the elements that I want for this particular list. What? Do, how many points do I have left and what fits there? <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking of the seven. Oh, well, yeah, it's seven. True, true. <laughs> Very true. Uh, how about you, Craig? Where do you stand on the, the bog-standard Rolthoser Cruiser? I literally do not own any. Okay, that answers that one. I, I, I've <laughs> used them. I've seen them. I don't like them on paper. It's they're just not for me. I've, I've always, always flown Baines as my kind of tier two of choice. Okay, 
I've always just skipped right over the cruises. We have two definite threads here, then, because you've mentioned the Banes. Josh, you mentioned the Destroyers. Mm-hmm. I've run both and kind of have an equal love-hate relationship with both, depending on what my last experience with them was. Let's start with the, the Shunt Cruisers, because they, they appear first in the manual. Um, so the Bane, we'll call it the Bane rather than the uh, Aranea, because it's easier to say. Mm-hmm. Also, I like the, the old Bane models better, I must say. Uh, they kind of got a bit of a retro feel to them, but I just think it's a more distinctive model. I think the uh, the Aranea looks a bit too much like the Raptor, but that's a personal thing. All right, maybe that. Okay, so we're, we're version one guys here, Craig. We're, we're showing ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> so the Bane is, again, standard cruiser stats, 4-6, you know, four hull points. AP5, which is, you know, above the above the average PD4 weapons. It's only a 5-7-2-1. It does have attack dice there in range band 4 for Rolthoser. Fairly unusual. And torpedo weapons, which are pretty Rolthoser standard, 3-4-4-5. So... What makes the, the Bane special then, Craig? It's it's all about the shunt matrix. The wing capacity is very nice as well. Like a little yeah. bomb of them with three interceptors. You can send them off by themselves around the board, harassing stuff, and be, basically being immune to torpedoes for most of the game until you really need them to get in close, preferably behind stuff, and throw that tasty, tasty 14 dice Behind into the vulnerable arcs. Yeah. It, again, it's my kind of control the board sort of philosophy. Make people move how you want them to, and then do something completely different. So we spoke about chess earlier. Do you play a lot of knights? <laughs> Just thinking, it's a similar kind of <laughs> knights are my favourite piece in chess. Actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Josh, are you a bishop man? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the Bane comes with Shunt Matrix 8 stock. So, again, for those who aren't too familiar with the, the way the Rolthos are playing the Shunt Matrix, Shunt Matrix is basically a short-range jump on the board, and the number in parentheses gives you the number of D6 that you're going to roll when making this. You choose a direction and a, and a facing, the way that you're going to point, and then roll the dice to see how far you go. It's a little bit variable. You can end up with ships, you know, slightly out of position. But one of the great things about the Rothosa that we mentioned right at the beginning was they have an eight-inch command distance. So actually, it's it's almost impossible to get Banes out of position, um, out of coherency, um, if you if you calculate it, you know, pretty well. Unless you've got pretty bad yeah. dice rolls. It's it's happened to me exactly once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, the Bane is. And I say, I've got a love-hate relationship with them. I've taken a squadron of Banes before and had them picked to pieces because DR4, even with a cloak, if you're unlucky, you know, you can chew through that fairly fast. And you lose one of these out of a squadron and it does take the the effectiveness quite a bit down. You know, especially if you're not running interceptors as as the wings. Um, You know, if you've gone for something slightly different. Because I've run these with assault shuttles just to make them a, a bit of a mobile boarding threat. Which is an interesting thing to, to do. Again, just an unbalancing psychological kind of thing. Uh, but then when your opponent starts blowing them up, it kind of doesn't yeah. work. So they are a bit of a wild card for me, I guess, is the, the underlying point there. H- how about you, for, for you, Josh? Because with your, again, slight aversion to Shunt Matrix, <laughs> uh, I guess you're not running Banes a lot. 
but perhaps you give us a bit of the background to why that is. Now, I uh, well, I, I've never had a good <laughs> experience with Shunt Matrix. It sounds like a childhood and, confession. Uh, <laughs> it's I've been. Yeah. <laughs> I mainly it's like I've, I've used Bane's once, and right. they were utterly just annihilated. Uh, when and maybe it has more to do with like just the meta around here, but we. Uh, we get a lot of uh, shunt deployments, so the shunting around on the table, the off-balance opponent doesn't always, in fact, more often than most, doesn't work. Because they're like, okay, he's flipping those around, I'm going to drop my my shunt bomb right next to them and take them out, and then go along my merry way. Right. So it's, they tend to, and that and with the shunt matrix even with a big command distance, like with a disparity in, in the jump distances can be really bad. <laughs> it sounds like you need a cathartic game with, with Baines to, uh, to get over that experience. Yeah. It does sound that way. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I think, um, I mean, Baines probably more than any of the other ships in the Ralthosa list, I think, need a bit of practice, I would say more than anything, just to get used to it. Yeah, definitely. Even if it's just by yourself, you know, just getting used to the, the mechanics of how do I get a good shunt roll, especially if I've got, you know, ships which are slightly out of sync previously, you know, yeah. to bring those back into line or have a good chance of doing that. Yeah, with Banes, because of the way the shunt matrix rule works, I tend to do is, right, I need to get this far with the first Bane to get to roughly that position. On average, that means I need, for example, six dice. Yeah. Roll that many dice. Right, he's going this far. Next Bane, he needs to get to within eight inches of that guy, which means he now needs that's possibly a slightly different number of dice, and you just aim for your averages. Yeah. So I'm the same. I will you know, work on a... Each dice is going to give me, statistically on average, three or 3.5, depending on what I'm feeling the day. Yeah. Between three and four. You know, to get to wherever. So this one's going to need four dice, this one will need five dice, and I'm only going to roll three for the last one because he's about ahead, you know, uh, and go from there. But, you know, sometimes unexpected does happen. The worst one is when you plan to get, you know, like you said, nicely behind a ship to get its vulnerable arc, and two of them make it and the other one's in front of it, and they're all facing to fire into into that vulnerable arc. I've had that happen. Which means you've just nicely presented your rear to the ship that you're trying to rear-end. And that's annoying, you know, because <laughs> then you've yes. you've not got your full firepower. And Fortunately, I solved that problem by they were still close enough together for command distance, so I just boarded the ship instead and turned his guns off. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed like the neatest solution. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so let's talk a little bit then about the Venom, the Destroyer, and you know where we see it in the grand scheme of things. Because uh, again, it's it's a little bit better than a standard cruiser in terms of DRCR four seven this time. It has slightly different layout of guns from a standard Destroyer. Most Destroyers in the game have a range band three kind of uh, focus. The Venom is like any other ship; it has a range band two focus. It has a four fixed of six nine four two. And it also has a decent starboard port as a 682. The big disadvantage is because you see those and you think this is a fantastic ship, squadron size of two. It's like, okay. Yeah. So I'm not rolling quite as many dice as I thought, but still, decent dice, you know, 12 and 13 attack dice, depending on arc, and quite a lot of arcs, especially for a destroyer. Mm-hmm. It also has ambush, which is 
again, not a typical Mar for a destroyer. We do see a few more now that have that, but you know, it's again, it's not that long range sniper that you see in a lot of fleets. It is the the close range sneaky trapdoor kind of thing. Yeah, which is an extremely real closer way to take that particular role on. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, the great thing that I always forget about Venoms until I come to build my list and think, yeah, that's why I take them. They've got six hull points. So mm-hmm. these are pretty sturdy ships, uh, you know, resilient again, as, as we said before. So, Josh, you mentioned your go-to Tier 2 being the, the Destroyer, or used to be, at least. Tell me, why you, why do you love them so much? Well, it's I'll usually take, like, two squadrons of them, and that'll mean I'll have four ambush tokens on the board. Uh, or if I upgrade, it'll be six. So, which is pretty typical for me because I, since I don't take shot matrix, if I have the spare points, I make an ambush three. I have three tokens for ship to place on the board, and that kind of makes my opponent think, "Well, where's the ships? You know, where?" And I can kind of good token placement lets me kind of route the ships the direction I want them to go. Like, I can either make it look like, okay, you know, that token's really near that objective, he's probably got the ships there, when really they're, you know, over here. So it kind of lures people. It goes with the with the mind games thing yeah. on the board. So, and then, of course, there's six hull points with pretty decent weaponry, um, and they're maneuverable, so I don't have to necessarily, I can, like, park them in a nebula, you know, in a gas cloud or something, and just... Yeah. Uh, it also gives me a, a force that's up the board. So when they're revealed, they tend, since they're a more resilient ship, uh, especially with a cloak on or if I have them in a gas cloud or something, you know, my opponent's got to deal with these ships that are up in his face while the rest of my fleet advances. So it it gives me like a layered approach to attack. Yeah, so one of the things I didn't mention before, which probably we should, is, you know, some of the basic stats of Ralthosa that we haven't covered. Movement. Ralthosa are not that fast. No. Um, I mean, we're not that slow, but, you know, capital ships, six inches movement, uh, by and large. Sixes and sevens mainly are tier ones. Carries is seven, the the battlecruiser's fast, it's nine, you know. Yeah. We're not racing around the field. Getting in close is important, because again, range band two for us, primary weapons, 16 inches maximum. So we need to be close before we're dropping those cloaks. So cloaks are essential to get close. And as you said, Josh, if you've got something to draw the fire so that people aren't firing on stuff as it creeps closer, it's all good. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for me, the, the Venoms are exactly that. And it's funny actually listening to to both of you talk about your, your fleet tactics as kind of a third party, because essentially you're describing the same tactics approached from entirely different points. Yep. Yeah. We're still pulling the enemy fleet around, playing mind games with them, seizing initiative. On one hand, it's by dancing around and sort of getting the opponents to guess where we are. On the other hand, it's, well, where are my ships? I've got these stealth tokens around. Um, I might be shunting some in, but I might be shunting them in a place where you're not expecting them. It's still doing that same mental games. Um, so basically what we're saying is to be a Rathosa player, you've got to be a bit of a jerk. <laughs> you, you're going to mess with your opponent. You're not winning friends. <laughs> yeah, you're probably not going to get bought too many beers afterwards on your gamesmanship. You know? 
It'll might take a game or two for the guy to come back and speak to you, but <laughs> no, there, it is that. definitely a more than any other race. I think if you can kind of play the games, and get people think you, it's more kind of psychological. I think than anything else. Yeah. So a lot of the other fleets are very kind of direct in what they want to do. And then you have the Relthos who's saying, hmm, no, 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 this is what you want to do, but it's also what I want you to do. Yeah. And you, you're just playing that game with people. Yeah. You may have thought you wanted to do this, but you didn't. Didn't Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, and as it turns out, here, have some destroyers to the face, shunted okay. in heavy cruisers, or, oh, I'm behind you now. A couple of points I just want to pick up, actually. One else on the Destroyer, Josh, you mentioned you know, upgrading to Ambush 3, and then we mentioned Shunt Matrix. People with the, the fleet manual might be, what are they talking about? If so, then you've got an old copy, and you need to download the, the latest PDF from Spartan Games, because these were recently errated mm-hmm. to give them a couple of, of hardpoint options, which is that that ambush upgrade or the ability to take Shunt Matrix 2 just to give them that little bit of, again, greater unpredictability. To make them a bit faster. Yeah. Yeah, I have actually played with the Shunt Matrix with the Venoms uh, a little bit. It's nice being able to, you know, they're presented here and then all of a sudden I can kind of port them over and it helps with the redirect, especially, you know, when they're so far forward of the rest of the fleet. Yeah. Yeah. The other medium ships that we haven't touched on are, first of all, the System Wars assault cruisers, which are, again, slightly atypical from the standard assault cruisers. They carry wings, but they can only carry assault craft. So it's a slightly different way of, of bringing assault and boarding to the game. And obviously recyclable, since you can board as many times as you still have the wings with SRS. And then the reinforcement box ships, the, the gunship, the virulence, and the uh, mm-hmm. light cruiser, Iramon. So, yeah, um, which of those... You, uh, well, Josh, you mentioned the gunship, so I guess the... Yeah, I, I'd i say I, I like the gunships. They, I've actually... This is one of the forays into playing with the shunt matrix that I've actually been doing, mostly because I can roll the dice and have the whole squadron go where I want it without any varying distances. So you're playing the shunt, mo- shunt uh, matrix on, on easy mode uh, with the new ships because they have the improved shunt matrix mar, which, yeah. as you said, allows <laughs> you to roll once for the entire squadron rather than per ship. Yep, exactly. Yep. And it's, uh, I like them. They got good firepower. You know, they're good harassers uh, and they're, you know, not too bad. I mean, I'd t- definitely take these over the standard cruisers. And that's usually, you know, they're the same point cost initially. So it's, you know, it's kind of like, <laughs> ah, do I take gunships or cruisers? Or no, I'm going to take gunships. <laughs> um, and then uh, the Iramons, I really like. I actually, I use them in my patrol fleets now as my tier three. Because... <laughs> Uh, yeah. You know, I like my Nidus frigates, but the Iramons are a little bit harder to kill. Yeah. So, um, and their, you know, their firepower is actually pretty uh, comparable, if not actually better than a Nidus. You know, the only thing you're lacking is the wing capacity. So, but they've been a real good, especially for my, like, my cruiser heavy lists, they've been a good tier three to include. The reinforcement box ships are both quite... Um I think this phrase has been used a bit. That disruptive element again—it's it's that greater unpredictability, you know, because they're kind of 
jumping around like jerks and you kind of don't know what they're doing and the Uramon is cheap as well so you know potentially you could bring a lot of them mm-hmm. whereas the you know the Cartesia again it's that uh, slightly longer range boarding threat you know again with the command distance you can get quite a big roaming distance on that and they're pretty tough as well you know for Rolthosa ships I haven't run them uh, an awful lot I must admit at the moment but again it, it as we've said several times this this kind of tactica, you really have to be building for, you know, with that intent in mind. Um, mm-hmm. And I've not really built a fleet yet that has that, that Cartesia shaped hole in it <laughs> that mm-hmm. I need to put them in that I haven't filled, you know, in either I don't need or I haven't filled in some other way uh, with other ships. How about you, Craig? What's your uh, take on the, the various non core PDF book? Yeah, I mean, I quite like the Cartesia as a class. You need, I would, it's another one of those things that I would never ever decloak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, what's the point? They've only got a 6-4 primary weapon. Might as well just keep assault boating stuff. And then the light cruiser I like as a tier 3. It's a nice tier 3. Um, personally, I would take Nidus instead, but I understand the logic of taking them taking the Iramons just because DR4-6 on a Tier 3 is going to scare some people. You don't usually see that outside of Cerulean's. Mm-hmm. And have you used the, the gunships? Or? The gunships are one of those things where I haven't found a reason I would use them. Yeah. So they're not as mobile for me as... The, as I'm going to use Baines again as a, as a comparison, but they're not as mobile... The weapons are more restrictive, and I, yeah, I've, I've never liked the way the torpedo weapons are. Yeah. To me, they really want to be hanging back in that kind of 30-inch range, harassing stuff, and just blatting as much downfield as they can. And four torpedoes a piece at that range is it's okay, but it's it's not stellar. Yeah, yeah, and I kind of just can't find a way to a, a way in my head to make them you know work at the moment. Yeah, the, the the virulence. It's um, I think it's exciting to take because it's the first Rolthosa ship that actually has a weapon type which isn't primary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just the ability to like shunt in and it's like I get to reroll ones, <laughs> <laughs> and my torpedoes are better, and now I can jump away uh, if I'm still alive. But yeah, I mean I, I've only just got my ships. Um, kind of, I've just started painting them up and uh, magnetized, uh, so I haven't actually run them yet. Um, but I'm quite looking forward to. I have actually built some some lists around them. I'm not sure I quite got it right yet, but I guess you know, playing them and seeing if they go how I expect them to or how I want them to work works is the kind of ironing out of that. And I guess that comes back again to that point with Rothosa is I think you really do need to both have that in your mind of what you want to do and also then try it <laughs> because quite often what you imagine doesn't actually really work out on the tabletop I find um, mm. you know I've got these elegant plans and when I actually try and put them in I think oh no actually the table's too big or too small for that or you know whatever it is it just doesn't quite relate from theory to reality but yeah I've again same with the Iramon I've not tried the Iramon yet purely because I, I I've magnetised them now now I can use them uh, just previously I just hadn't so I'll reserve judgement on those uh, for the time mm-hmm. being it kind of takes us now to the tier threes, thank you. And we do have—I think the Rothos actually have some of the strongest tier threes in in the game. Mm. I mean, the 
the original drone class frigate was pretty solid. You know, it's a it's pretty straightforward, right? It's four five, so it's reasonable. It uh, doesn't have a cloak, obviously, but it has a systems network, which gives it stealth systems at long range. Makes it quite difficult to remove until it gets close, and then you can chop, start chopping them to pieces. But within 16 inches, five attack dice on four ships is a decent amount of dice. You know, so mm-hmm. they're broadside-based yeah. as well, so with good positioning, you can get good double hits. And they're pretty cheap. You know, 80 points for a squadron. They're kind of throwaway. Uh, not that we would ever throw away citizens of the Empire, of course. <laughs> but there's plenty more where they came from. Yeah, there's a few million of them. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and then you have the Nidus, which is, you know, it's where drone pilots go when they grow up. That's <laughs> Nidus rickets. <laughs> we want to keep them a bit. But, okay, it's a little less, it's a little more fragile. It's a little less survivable with 3.5. It's a little bit faster, but it can take wings. I mean, and I think it was, uh, I think it probably still is the only tier 3 that can take wings. So it has also different weapons layout. So it has a 4 fixed Plus it has the sort of token starboard port, but you'd be lucky to get something with them. So it's a very different squadron, but still both two quite nice, different and interesting options. And I often run both. Plus now we have uh, the the Ichneumon from the System Wars uh, update, which gives you, again, something a little bit different because now you have a small with a cloaking field. So you don't have to hang around your tier twos and threes to be able to get your systems network, stealth systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can actually have these things dotted around, and they don't even have to be in coherency because they don't have any weapons, so what do they care? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so then you have the reinforcement box, uh, Aragon, which is a nice little torpedo ship. You know, the torpedo long-range small is no longer the preside of solely the Terran Empire. <laughs> um, now was going to say, it's uh, like we've just stolen a Terran ship and put a bunch of spiders in there. Yeah, basically. If you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> and again, you know, that's a, a, for the fact that they come in sixes, so it's difficult to take the, the whole lot of them down. It gives you that nice kind of swarm feel as well for the Rolthos, which is quite nice. Yeah. So, we have a lot of tier threes. I mean, do you guys run any in preference? Do you take them all? Mix, I, it depends. I usually tend towards Nidus's, but like I said, the Iramans now are what I go towards. So, mm. But Nidus's is usually my default. Yeah. Craig? Yeah, Nidus is Nidus for yeah. me. Although I do generally take a pair of drones and attach them to my battleship. Yeah. Yeah, I must admit, the Nidus have edged out, or did used to edge out drones for me as well because having that i usually take fighters on them because the flexibility of having pd cover which especially at long range makes them immune to torpedo attack which is also quite nice for your tier threes um, just having that long range mobile threat of eight attack dice is really nice additional uh, sort of support to threaten smalls and you know mm. harass cruisers as well um or something if it's damaged you know Again, it's just that unbalancing effect of if you've got a squadron of four of these things around, again, flying around, being jerks, long-range threat, um, those fighters giving that 18-inch strike range plus your 8-inch command distance you know, yeah. is quite a nice unbalancing force. And again, it goes into that whole theme. And I think the theme we've probably emphasised over and over again here is that unbalancing 
sort of feel to the whole thing. Yep. The way to win with Relthoser, yep. I think, we've kind of distilled here, is keep your opponent off balance. You know, psychologically, on the uh, on the gaming field, always keep them guessing. You know, if they don't know what you're doing, or they think they know what you're doing, but it's not what you're doing, then you're ahead. And, you know, you're planning the moves before they're moving into them. Uh, and inevitably, you should come up. Uh, unless you get disastrous dice or panic and go too early, you should get the, the ascendant spidery hand. Yeah. Okay. Uh, like using Nidus with bombers rather than fighters. Because then suddenly you've got a squadron of tier threes that's throwing out two lots of 12 dice in a turn. <laughs> there is that. Which is scary for virtually anything short of battleships. Well, and that's... I kind of We've talked a little bit about the individual ships. I guess going back now, we should really cover what are the the overall strengths that you see of the Relthosa. Because, you know, you're just mentioning the bombers there. For me, one of the big strengths of the Relthosa is, yes, they build... They can build in lots of different ways. But actually, I don't think there's another force out there that can bring quite as many SRS to the table as Relthosa. Aquans are close, but actually we have better general access in all tiers to SRS than than Aquans do. Aquans are very good at tier ones. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that isn't immediately obvious to a lot of people. And I think Sometimes you can turn up and you've got... It's like, what are those tokens? It's like, well, these are my SRS. It's like, but you've got them everywhere. It's like, yep. <laughs> because for me, torpedoes are always the bane of the Relthosa because, of course, they ignore cloaks. Your stealth systems are great at long range, but they're not the be-all and end-all of things. And get within 20 mm-hmm. inches and they count for nothing. So having SRS around mm-hmm. to, to counter that or provide some additional cover is golden. Yeah, mm-hmm. The volume we can bring as well of SRS can be like, horrifying. So again, yeah. this 3,000 point game I played, I had two fully stacked like, carriers with two banes each, so that's 10 SRS each. Yeah. <laughs> two battleships maxed out SRS, that's another 12. Two squadrons of banes, that's another six, and then two full squadrons of Nidus. So I ended up having about 40 odd points worth of you know SRS in that. And again, you're not going to win any friends with that. <laughs> they were just looking at it. It's like, what? Yeah. Why do you have 40 bombers? What's wrong with you? Because I want to win. <laughs> so, unfortunately, uh, Josh has just had to, to dip out a little earlier than, than expected. But we've kind of got most of the the groundwork covered, I think, for, for the Royal Thoser. I think a couple of things we mm. could probably talk around just to close this off is where do you see the weaknesses in the, the Royal Thoser fleet then? Because we, we've covered most of the strengths here. We talked about the, the strength of SRS we can bring. You know, I guess boarding as yeah. well is one of the other, the other great strengths that we have. We can't necessarily build as strong a, a boarding force perhaps as the Directorate with their wealth of cyber. But we do have access to, to biohazard, yeah. second only to the, the directorate. And we do have quite naturally high AP ratings. Not the university, but up across a lot of the fleet. Yeah. Where do you see the weaknesses? Because we've got a lot of strengths there. Yeah, there's a lot of strengths. I think the biggest weakness for a lot of Rothoser ships is like the raw stat line. Yeah. So the DRCRs, especially on like the tier twos and Squadron sizes as well tend to hurt us more than quite a few other fleets. So that, 
if we look at like the destroyers, that's a mandatory two yeah. ship squadron. Once you've lost one of them, one of them's one of them by themselves is suddenly a much much less much less of a threat. Yeah, and I think you know there it's that you hope that the out of the pair of destroyers that are there, that the one that was destroyed was you know, the one that was already you know half on fire, and the one who got left is still on six hull points. Yeah. She can just cloak it and shut it. Yeah. Out. Like <laughs> Yeah, if you take kind of our various classes and put them against most squad equivalent squadrons from other fleets, probably the only ones we have that can really go toe to toe and not suffer horribly it is probably the Apex and the uh, Scarabs. Beyond that, kind of really going toe to toe, cloaks down, you know, just rolling dice at each other, those two are the only squadrons, I think, that can really stand up to their equivalents in a fair fight, which then brings it back to the Ralthosa thing of never ever make it a fair fight. Yeah, I think that's... <laughs> you hit the nail on the head there, really, isn't it? It is that we don't want to fight fair. You know, that's uh, And that yeah. fits very well with the Ralthosa fluff, you know, it's they are the patient hunter. They they have... They see great honour in the perfect kill where the... the opponent wasn't even aware that you were there yeah there is no you know gentlemanly conduct to Rothosa is not you know th- striking somebody with your gauntlet and then having a, a very fair balanced duel it's stabbing them in the back on, <laughs> on the way home from the pub when you weren't expecting it. <laughs> yeah. so it's a very different uh, view of honor a very alien mm. one <laughs> yeah which is good it's one of the things i like most about that fluff actually but it's it, it translates very well into the gameplay of them as well. So you need, you really, really need to kind of not fall into that trap of okay, I need, to, I can go toe to toe now. No, 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 no. You can never ever go toe to toe. You always, always find your sneaky way in. Yeah. And you, it's as soon as you kind of get ahead of yourself and start saying, yeah, I won this, and you start doing reckless things. No, that's that's a big trap a lot of people fall into, especially kind of early in play, playing the race. Because a lot of people are just like, oh, rep, charge in, drop the cloaks, start shooting stuff, and then they die. But you need to kind of be a bit more patient with it and a bit more kind of piecemeal and just chip away and just make it a war of attrition that you win because cloaks. In some ways, the Rothos are quite similar to the Cerulean's in that you have to play for the, the longer term of the... Yeah. the overall balance of play rather than, you know, the Dindrenzi with their... We'll crack them at long range and then we'll go in and mop up with, you know, specialised squadrons afterwards, you know, or yeah. the Terrans who are just like, we'll, we'll slowly go in and then we're just going to batter everything at short range. <laughs> yeah, just talk, drown stuff in torpedoes and then hope the shields hold when things get in close. <laughs> yeah. That's... that's- Seems to be the Terran way from yeah. what I've seen. The Fisher Price approach to combat us. <laughs> <laughs> as far as the Ralphus is concerned, anyway. Yeah. The the Aquins, you know, run around bouncing lasers off mirrors and doing all kinds of silly shenanigans and throwing SRS and all kinds of stuff around, you know, with the yeah. some of the toughest ships in, in the game. Yeah. Also the most forgiving ships in the game, I think, with the Aquans. Yeah. Whereas Rothos really aren't that. They are that exact opposite to that. They're probably the least forgiving race in the game. Yes. Yeah, I would agree. Where I think a lot, of, a lot of people will say, oh, the Rothos are the hardest race to play. Yes and no. They're very, very difficult 
to kind of wrap your head around at first, but once you've got your head in and you've got a game plan for dealing with different kinds of fleets that you see, they then it kind of flips around and they become one of the most difficult races to play against. Yes. Just because they've got so many tricks, so many different ways of doing a number of different things that they're, they're really, really difficult to plan for. You know, when I had to step in at Warfare last year, I wasn't prepared to face Rolfo as a player. Yeah. You know, mentally. Went in with Ninjinjanzi and then I kind of realised, hang on, I'm playing Rolfo as a player and all of the tricks that I know are going to be used against me. This is what I would do in this situation. I could see starting to be lined up against me. And that's why I thought, I'm going to have to do something different because otherwise I am going to lose this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, and it's seeing that and recognizing that you know, Rolthosa feet played well. You can see, I can see how how I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you kind of see it coming in about three turns. Then realize, oh, I can't stop this. Yeah, <laughs> and it's that recognition. And if if you have a player who does recognize that, you're in trouble because either they will dodge it or they'll fold space out and deny you. Mm. But yeah, if you if you don't, it's very difficult to to avoid. And it's one of the reasons I love playing Ralphosa. You know, that it was very appealing to me from that that first out. It does take a little while to learn when is the perfect moment to to drop the cloak and when to re-engage it. You know, not that I think one of the first mistakes I made was dropping my cloak and blasting away, assuming that my firepower would be overwhelming and that I could just stay like that until it was the opponent was dead. You know, going for that fair fight. Yeah, that didn't work. <laughs> Rather than, as you say, you know, drop the cloaks, you chip away, put them up again, reposition, you know, bring something else in, distract, move it away, shunt off, all these different things you can do. You've got to, you've got to just think like a spider. Yeah. Every, every single squadron you've got is a leg. And that you're just moving stuff around and just keeping everyone guessing all the time. But yeah, as soon as you get out mind games and it turns into a straight fight, basically, you're in trouble. So there we go, everyone. The way to win at Rolthoser is to think spider. (laughs) Mm. So you've got to get that arachnid eight-leg feel and uh, that's it. Victory awaits. (laughs) (laughs) So last point i want to kind of raise or or get your opinion on is obviously last week we asked fred about the the rumors of the the two-player set obviously ceruleans and relthosa haven't yet been awarded that that grand prize Mm -hmm. what would you like to see from a a future two-player set with with relthosa ships i think relthosa at tier one we can do quite a lot of things with srs but we well the one thing a lot of people would say we've never had is a battle carrier a, a proper started battle carrier, and I think a lot of people will be wanting that. For me, I'm not that fussed about what we get in terms of which particular classes of ships are involved. What I want to see is everything making the tiers a more difficult choice. Yeah. For me at the moment, my hands down tier two is the bane. It's the only thing I ever taken in a tier 2 slot except heavy cruisers and tier 2 especially I want to see some solid options particularly for the Rothos just something that's going to make me think do I really want Baines or do I want this yeah you know meaningful choices yes not you know something that's going to be an auto take because that's just as boring as something that I would never take yeah but just something that's going to make me sit and think oh how do I want to build this list yeah, I'd agree. And I would really like to have that just at every tier. Tier 3, I think, for Rolthosa has that now. 
Yes. You've seen the choices we've got. We've got the uh, the drone, which is, you know, quite a nice little brawler. It's it's just kind of a general purpose sort of thing. And we've got the carrier frigates in the Nidus. And then in the uh, Aragon, we've got a backfield objective camper. Yeah. Which is pretty much all the choices you want at Tier 3. And then, there's of course, there's the light cruisers as well, the Iramon. And then tier two for me, it's it's all about the bane. But then some people swear by destroyers, some people swear by basic cruisers. If a, for any given player, there's they only really see one choice, whatever that choice is at tier two. Yeah, I think well, plus the heavy cruisers because everybody loves them. <laughs> yeah, because everybody loves the heavy cruisers. So, but then people can take them at tier one as well. So. Yeah, yeah, depending on where you are. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, to me. It's it's a difficult one because I'm not I haven't looked at my Relthoser list and think you know what I'd really like to see is you know and then you know, X Y Z whatever that choice is mm. I'm quite happy to see what comes and work out a a type of fleet that it would fit into and building that fleet you know I think we talk quite a lot about the specialism yeah. uh, and building of fleets for a purpose yeah and I think the any new ships that come, it'd be interesting to see what fleets and what purposes they would have that I'd build with those and the types of different synergies that they'd bring with those ships. Because I think we've got a lot of options. You know, I think that's one of the difficulties about playing Rolthosa is unlike a lot of the fleets, I think you can almost win or lose in the fleet building. If you get it wrong and you can't do then those strategies that you were planning on in the which is why I say I think practice is important, but you can't do those strategies you're thinking of doing actually in-game, it's going to fall apart. Yeah. Like you say, they're not a forgiving fleet. No. You know, it's not like the Terrans where if you get it a bit wrong, but I can suck it up because you know I can just sector my shields this way and I'll weather that fire until I get into this position and you know I'll be fine you know, until my battleship eventually plods into range band one and then I can just douse everything in torrents of fire. <laughs> Whereas we just can't do that. Mm. Because by that stage, we're probably on fire ourselves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and everybody knows spiders hate fire. Yeah, I think it'd be, it's interesting. I, I'd really like to see a two-player set with Cerulean's and Rolthosa. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope that... Um, It'd be nice to round off all the main factions with that. Yeah, I think so, because it doesn't feel like we've got limited choices, but we do have less choices than the other the other races, so I think it'd be nice to address that balance. Yeah. And it's, it's just always nice to have new toys, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, there's that too. Always keeps the money rolling. Indeed, indeed. Okay, well, any other thoughts or, or pointers on on Ralphosa before we uh, before we wrap up this episode, then, Craig? I don't think so. I think I've more or less covered kind of my well entire philosophy on flying them, pretty much. <laughs> Hopefully, only Xenian players are listening to this, or prospective Xenian mm. players. But then again, if you're a correct player, obviously it's all mind games, so. Are we really telling you what uh, the Relthosa should be played like? Or are we not? Who knows? We do hope it's been useful to people who think you're playing Relthosa or are looking to get better battle log results from their games. Perhaps have had some disappointments because, as we've said, Relthosa are not a straightforward fleet to just pick up and, and throw on the table and expect guaranteed results. So hopefully we've given some some insights there, some different ways of playing Relthosa because they, they aren't all the same, apart from the fact that it's... It's all about keeping the opponent off guard, off balance, not in control, even when they think they're in control. So play for the long game, unbalance your opponent, dance around, 
you shunt deployment, all those different tricks you can. Uh, we've got plenty of them. And uh, let us know how you get on. Yeah. I think that brings us to the end of the episode. So uh, thanks very much, Craig, for your time. Awesome. Thanks, Josh, as well, in absentia. <laughs> <laughs> so signing off from the Hub Systems, it's Alex. And Craig. We'll see you next time.